You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. We're reading of today's vocal passage. I got too excited. Good morning, church. Our focal passage this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen with me. Let me find it. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated, and the kids can be dismissed to their classrooms. Good morning. Uh, I just wanted to say real quick, thanks to Adam, Pastor Adam Hanauer, for leading that sabbatical team and kind of all that stuff. Um, thanks to Scott and Kelly and their family. Scott, just so you know, Scott's not going anywhere. He's taking 10 weeks off and, and coming back. Um, Scott is one of my dear friends. I get to work with him, and we get to do um, for work. We get to do the greatest thing that anybody gets to do, and that's to to make this come to life in a bunch of people. Um, and so that's a gift. And Scott's shaped me in in the way that I get to do that, and. Um, and so I'm super excited that he gets to take some time off. And uh, I say this not so that you, not with me in mind, but just so that you know. Um, I know there were people in the room saying like, oh man, like that, I, it, it must be nice, right? I get that. You work hard and all those things. And there are other people in the room saying like, 10 weeks, you shouldn't have 10 months, all right? And so thanks for all of that. Um, I, I do want you to know that the weight that, um, I'll, I'll say Scott in particular, just the weight that we get to bear, it's, it, it is unique. And as Adam kind of hinted at, you don't really know sometimes if you're like working or you're just hanging out. Like th- those things are tough. And so this is a sweet space to give some freedom and to let them be built up and refreshed in some other ways and um, to come back, hopefully, and commit to do this, you know, for a little while longer together. So... So thanks for Adam for putting that together and the families that were kind of a part of that team. And, um, and Matt, uh, there's some overlap. So how, was it like five weeks you're out here? So in five weeks, then they'll both be gone for like a month. And uh, I'll just be, I don't know, playing paddle ball or something around here. <clears throat> so, uh, man, I, I, I do appreciate you all. And, and the beauty of all that stuff has been 
figuring out what they do <laughs> and what Scott does and then finding someone else to do it that's not me. And so that's been pretty, it's been a cool journey. And so thanks for all you who have, man, who, who have committed to bearing some weight. And, you know, we, we hopefully won't drop a ton of balls in the process, but I'm sure there will be some balls dropped and that's okay. And so thanks to you for being kind and, and generous and gracious to the pastors of this church and for serving the church in the ways that you have. So. Uh, so much to say in this text, so do you mind if we just jump in and go? You ready? <clears throat> when I was uh, 17 years old, I was driving um, down, uh, down a country road, which happened to be the road that I lived on because I lived in the country. Um, Kim was, was in the passenger seat, and my cousin, who's like four or five years younger than me, is in the back. And we're just cruising along in my 1978 Ford, Ford Fiesta, and... Uh, he screamed and he flailed so immediately and emotionally that I assumed Michael Myers was actually like in the back of the car or like Freddy Krueger or like name your horror film villain. Like there was no other explanation of why we're just driving and he's just losing his mind. So I pull over as soon as I can. It's a two door. So for him to get out, I have to unbuckle, open the door, put the seat up. He gets out, and it's just like, what is, what is happening right now? And, and he, like, you know, through, like, panted breath and all the things, like, there, there was a spider on my leg. <laughs> and, and so, like, you know, <sighs> like, I thought Michael Myers was in the back of my car. Um, so that's a relief. So <clears throat> if... If anyone knows fear, we know that it's not easily overcome. We, we also know that everyone fears. And, and some, some fears are justified, and some are silly, and some are unique, and some are sown from childhood, and some last a lifetime. And, and fear can shape life. But here's the thing. This isn't really a sermon about fear. It's about a couple fears that we have. There are two things that nearly everyone fears. One, it's, it's living without purpose. And two, no longer living. <laughs> Those are two things that kind of drive aimless wandering. That, is, uh, that can be a, a really cool idea for a sticker or a t-shirt. But most people don't want to live their life through just aimless wandering. That's not what we want to do. And then the second, th- the second thing there, in no longer living is likely the root of nearly all other fears. Like every fear that we have is, is like at the end of it that you would no longer live, that you would die. And, and that's true for, for every fear minus like public speaking. Like I, I get the fear of public speaking. That's the thing. But everything else, it's like, and, and then, then I would be harmed or I would, I would be dead. And so as we continue to discover Jesus through through John, as we have been for a long time, there's kind of so much stuff that we're, that we're picking up on and we can't possibly like share all of those things. But, but uh, as we continue to discover Jesus through John, that we may believe, as we continue to kind of wade through some dialogue between some, some Jewish believers now turned enemies of Jesus, all in this same 
little uh, dialogue. They were believers. Hey, there were some Jewish believers, some, some religious people who followed the God of the Old Testament, and they had finally come to the place where they're trusting Jesus, but through just a little uh, interaction and some questions and some statements that Jesus makes, we, we, we find out that they were not legitimate believers at all, that they're not children of God at all, that they're actually opposing God and they're opposing Jesus. So through this interaction, we see Jesus both reveals and he invites into purpose and into life. Life in Jesus gives hope and confidence to live on purpose forever. Life in Jesus gives hope and confidence to live on purpose forever. So what he's doing, he's peeling back layers, he's revealing himself, and he's inviting us into life-altering realities. If we get Jesus, all of life changes. All of it. So we'll look at this in kind of three chunks. And the first one is this. Jesus lives for God's glory. Uh, Liz Knutson, she was the one over here playing this thing and leading these women. Uh, thanks for that, by the way. Gosh, how sweet that is. Um, what a cool privilege and opportunity to hear you all and be led by you all. Uh, Liz mentioned uh, a few months back, like, she was trying to piece together all of the jobs that I had said, like just in preaching, uh, just as I preach and I like reference some job that I had, she's like, man, I just can't imagine that you've had all of these jobs. Like you've worked here for a long time. Like, like how long have you been alive? And, and so um, one of those jobs was, was in a factory and there were several in a factory, but this one was like the, the first one. I worked at Kings Island when I was 16 and then in summer between junior and uh, senior year, I worked at, uh, at a packaging plant or a, a, a factory. So all I did, it was really, really hot, and all I did was put air fresheners in boxes. And I had to do that at, at high speeds. And what would happen is you would like do this, and there's like other stuff. People were putting other things and other things, and like if you messed up or like you couldn't get in there, then it would back up. And as it backed up, it would like notice that for like quality control, if the things weighed too much, they would like start like add like this this thing. It would just shoot them off of the thing. Like hey, something's wrong here. And so it would start doing that, and then eventually it would just shut the thing down. And then the three uh, older women in the back of the line would just look at me like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I." I don't, I don't know. Like, I know, right? And so, um, on my worst days as a pastor, this is, this is real talk. Like, now. Like, my worst days when, like, I can't write a sermon to save my life and when, like, I can't care for people in ways that I would like to care for people and I can't lead and it's just tough in the weight of all the things. Like, when I close my eyes, I think... Oh my gosh, that would be so great to just, like that's it, just the three women in the back, if I can just make sure that, like, and I'm not disrespecting that. Like some people could do that, but for me, uh, in the moment, I hated that. Because for me, I struggle when I don't have something in front of me to like build or to like press forward or to like work towards. I struggle when I don't have a purpose and what I'm doing. And so everyone starts this way. 
Everyone. And the reason why I know that is because every one of you were a kid at some point, and as a child, you, you wondered about purpose. And here's how it would show up. Like, the parent would say, hey, don't hit your brother. And you would say, why? Because you wanted to, you wanted to have purpose. And hey, we're going to clean up the room. Why? Hey, you have to go to school today, and you would ask why. And, and all that, like for real, is really this deep longing of like, I need to, I need to know that what I'm doing is serving. A, it's not just do it. It's not just because mom and dad said, although I know we'll, we'll say that. But we, we want to know why we're doing Like, what are we building? Like, what is the aim? What's, what's the greater uh, work in the work of our hands? And in this passage, in some subtle ways, and in, in some not so subtle, Jesus gives purpose to all of us for everything that we do. So let's start reading John eight forty eight. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And again, we can't go into all this, but basically they're, they're, they're saying you're a uh, Satan-filled idiot. That's what they're saying. They're just dropping a name. Samaritans, they didn't get along with the Jews, and they're, they're pointing to like a bad type of people that they didn't get along with. But, but basically, they, the, the, their argument has met a place to where like they can't move on, so they just resort to name-calling. J.C. Riley says this. I, I think this is helpful. He says, Silenced in argument, these wicked men re- resorted to personal abuse. To lose temper and call names is a common sign of a defeated cause. Nicknames, insulting, and violent language are favorite weapons with the devil. When other means of carrying on his warfare fail, he stirs up his servants to smite. That's kind of like to wield a sword to smite with the tongue. When we see uh, this type of behavior, when we're drawn into it, it's, it's a reflection, it's probably a reflection of broken parts of human hearts. And so, whether that's you, or the person next to you, or the person wherever, or, or whatever, like, what we see here is, is them losing an argument, and then just resorting to name-calling, and then we, we move on. Jesus responds, he says, I, uh, one, I don't have a demon, that's probably what he said, uh, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And then he goes on uh, in, in verse 54, and he says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. He's saying, yeah, I could, I could honor myself, but that doesn't really mean anything. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. And so there's a lot in it, right? He, he responds with a level-headed truth. He shows his cards. I'm not like you. You disrespect me. I live to give God honor, and he glorifies me. You don't honor me, and that's a real problem for you, especially the one who you say you live for God's honor or for God's glory. And so there are these words, honor and glory, and this isn't always true, but they're, they're kind of used interchangeably. As Jesus is saying, well, you dishonor me, but, but I honor my Father, but he glorifies me. And so he kind of like is interchanging these words, honor and glory. It's like to shine light on the value or the true worth of. So it's, he's saying, I, I want to shine light on the value, on who 
uh, God really is. It's to live in light of the greater reality, the greater light, the greater truth, to lay down my own recognition to make my life about his honor, his recognition, his glory. And the Father does the same for the Son. Can you imagine how angry they are growing in this dialogue? And, and again, if this is your first time hanging out with us, that's fine. But you should just kind of read uh, now or later about what's going on to kind of fill in some, some gaps. But can you imagine how angry they are growing? He tells them that all he is doing isn't because he's loopy or possessed by a demon or from some place that, that they don't like, but it's because he has higher aims. He has a greater purpose, his father's honor is his aim. Or glorifies Jesus. So they're showing him disrespect, and he's like, look, I, I'm not about whatever it is that you're doing. Of course, I don't have a demon, but I'm living my life to glorify my father. And here's the thing, he's doing the same thing for me. He, he says, you call him God, I call him dad. <laughs> That's what he says. He's like, which, uh, which is a real problem, Right? He's telling them that, that he is deserving of the glory and the honor fit only for God. And, and that, even so, he lives his life to honor and glorify the Father. That's why he is doing and saying all that he does and says. Jesus doesn't have to do this. He could just be like, no, it was nothing. Like, let's just go about it. Like, he, he could just wash it away, and he, he could not say these things that are intentionally uh, stirring these people to, as we'll see here, want to kill him. But he knows that this is his purpose, that all he is saying and all that he's doing is to bring glory to his Father, to God. So what does that mean? He's showing us who he is. It shouldn't be lost. It's, it's pretty significant. And he's, he's showing us what he does. He uniquely receives God's honor, but uniquely builds his life around giving God glory. Here's the deal. If, if we build our lives around the same prize, around the same purpose, God's glory and God's honor, then we are living with divine purpose. It doesn't matter what we're doing with the work of our hands. This is our, our highest prize. But, but that may not merely show up like you think. It's not just that, well, everything I do, like I have to read a Bible verse afterwards. That's, that's not what that means. But I have to say amen about whenever people like on the street say just some normal thing, I just have to say amen and look really weird for no reason. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean that you have to make everything oddly super spiritual or talk in a certain way or pray in a certain way. Or, it doesn't mean any of that. It means that the heart behind everything that you put your hands or your mind or, or your words to, no matter what it is, is going to this end to give God honor, to give him glory. You probably heard, I've quoted it 10,000 times, uh, a, a catechism is like a quick question answer. Uh, parents, one I would say, New City Catechism, really, really good, really simple. Ask a question, gives an answer. Uh, there's like longer answers, and then there's like scripture to kind of come alongside that. But not even 
parent to kid, if, if you're like new in faith and you don't know some basic foundational stuff, or you've been a Christian for a long, long time, it's still really, really good to help like just give some pillars on like what some basic questions and answers are. But, but one of the Westminster Catechism, it says like, what is man's chief end? Like, why does he exist? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, and if you've lived a life that felt like Christianity was, was stuffy and it was about rule, like rigid rule keeping and it was just like, oh my gosh, do, basically you're, you're signing up to just do a bunch of stuff that you don't want to do until you die and maybe you've done more good than bad and you enter heaven, that's not Christianity. That's not what you've been doing. But if you see Jesus for who he is, and you see his invitation after he reveals himself and, and he invites you to glorify him and to enjoy him in everything that you do, that is a purpose that we can get behind. And so man's chief end, glorify God and enjoy him forever. So just some real quick hitters. How do we live for God's glory? Well, there's 10,000 ways, but I'll give you three. One, we get to prize his name over your own name. Prize his name over your own name. That's the heart of it, that I honor my father even when it costs me. That I, that, that I will be tested in that today. Look, I'm tested in that. I can make all this about me. I'm the one on the stage, and I'm the one with the lights. I can make my words about me, right? You today will be tested to do this, to, to prize his name over your name, that you get a, to follow him and to live in a way that, that reflects his glory and honor, even if it comes at, at, at a cost to your own name. That's what we get to do. The second thing is we get to obey him even when it's difficult, and there's been lots of obedience language in this uh, these few paragraphs, but we get to obey him even when it's difficult. This is how Jesus got into this situation to begin with. It wasn't because he wanted to do his own thing. It's because he came to do his father's will. And that's gotten him into some trouble, being obedient to his father. That's us having a rule of life that no matter what, when God says, do this, and like we should seek him, seek his word, figure out what it says. And I tell people all the time, like, I'm praying about whether or not I should, you know, do this dumb thing that God clearly says don't do. And, and I like, you don't have to pray about that. <laughs> like, you pray about everything, but you don't have to pray about that. Because it's, it's crystal clear. Like, this is what it looks like to please God. In a, to honor him looks like this. Yeah, but... And so we bet out this thing, but gosh, but we could save money if we did this. Or, it, man, people will think I'm just crazy if I, if I do this, but wouldn't it be easier if I just, yeah. Like, and so there, there are lots of moments where you will have the opportunity to, to obey the desires of your own heart at the expense of, of God. Or you get to say, you know what? Like, I'm committed to honoring you. Like, honor your father and mother. Like, what does that mean? It means like, do, do what they tell you for their name, not yours. And so obedience is part of that. And the last thing is do what you do as an opportunity for God's glory. And that's kind of like the all of life thing. And so if you work in a job where you put 
air fresheners on a conveyor belt and you do it for 8 or 10 or 12 hours a day, 5 or 7 days a week, so be it. I'm not, I'm not disrespecting that at all. But, but you get to do that with the honor and the glory of God, the heartbeat of every time you do it. So that means that you get to do it well and you get to say, I'm so sorry, ladies in the back. Like, I'm really trying. Like, could you help my form? Like, you know, right? You get to be the best worker wherever you are. And you get to be the most loving and kind neighbor wherever you are. And you get to be a, a, a good friend and faithful to your commitments and all those things. That's what it looks like that, that in everything we're doing, we're wearing like a jersey that says like Team Jesus. And, and when we live in a way that, that he's not inviting us into, then we are uh, taking his name in vain. That's not saying like, oh, I cussed and said God's name. This is not what that means. It's, it's misrepresenting your father. It's misrepresenting his glory and his honor. And so in all that we do, or, or as Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And certainly that a context but, but that's what we get to do. So, so all of this, not merely for our own, uh, not, not merely through our own discipline, but through the life of the one who God glorifies, Jesus. Even being God, he gave up his own glory to honor his Father by inviting us into greater glory. All who are his set out on all the earth to live for his glory all the days of our life and to live in his glory all the days of eternal life. That's what he's inviting us into. Glory and joy forever. Life in Jesus gives hope and confidence to live on purpose forever. The second thing is, is Jesus is the way to live forever. And that's pretty basic. You've probably heard something like that. Let's read, starting in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died. See, Abraham was like, uh, long story, he was like the, the first guy that God called to himself that said, through you, we're going to build a family and a community and a tribe and a nation and all God's people through, through you, right? And so he invited him into a relationship. And so he's like their spiritual father, right? And so, and then Abraham's sons are as well. And so, so that's why they keep bringing him up. The Jews said, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. So they're saying, this can't be right, because they were men of truth and, and they're dead. So you're off. And they said, are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died who do you make yourself out to be? It's literally like, who do you think you are? On whose authority are you saying these words? And then we go down in verse 55. But, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. That's what Jesus says. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, he saw it, and he was glad. And so you imagine they're making faces like, 
Like, what? <laughs> the, Jesus addresses that, that big scary thing that looms over every living one and every living thing. And he came to punch it in the face. And he punched death in the face for all who might trust him. There's a story in Time Magazine of a man who's he's unable to have children. And he's also a spokesman for the Human Cloning Foundation. Human Cloning Foundation. Planning to have some skin cells uh, stored for future cloning. He says, if I'm not cloned before I die, just to be clear, you're cloned it's like a tiny version of you made again, right? That grows up. Um, if I'm not cloned before I die, my estate will be set up so that I can be cloned after I die. It's like saving some DNA or whatever. Uh, he does admit he is having trouble finding a lawyer willing to help. So if you're into that and you can help out, then that's like what he's, he's like, it's pretty complicated. Um, he's frustrated by his inability to have children of his own. He knows that a clone would not be a photocopy of him, but hopes his clone will carry on the traits that he possesses. And then he hints at his motive. Are you ready for this? This is quote. Uh, I can thumb my nose at Mr. Death and say, you might get me, but you're not going to get all of me. The special formula that is me will live on into another lifetime. It's a partial triumph over death. I would leave my imprint not in sand, but in cement. Okay. To each his own, right? Uh, some complicated ethical issues going on there for sure. But uh, so, so we see Jesus say, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. What is he saying? If you've been with us and if you've been reading with us, you've seen this before. This isn't a surprise. In countless ways, Jesus tells who he is and, and what he offers. Here he reveals that he has the power to overcome death and in him, we do too. It's revelation of who he is, and it's invitation into something great, something unimaginable, something that even cloning can't do, to live forever. And we've talked about the role of obedience in the Christian life, that it's, that it's fruit of a new heart, that it's validation of transformation. And so no one's saying that literally the, the uh, crux of this is just to be perfectly obedient you're not, you're not going to be able to do that. And so there's some gray area then. And we've talked about the offer of eternal life in Jesus. Because of death's certainty, it is natural to fear death. You sit here, and maybe you have like, maybe some would say like even irrational fears of death. Or maybe they're very rational and, the, and, and they're still uh, hold you back from doing things. Like that doesn't mean that tomorrow you have to jump out of an airplane with a parachute on or without one on, but really don't do that. It doesn't mean that. But those fears that we have, they have seeds and roots that are far greater than just the surface of the way that we think this thing goes down. We have to know that. English Philosopher Francis Bacon wrote, Men fear death as children fear to go into the dark. Because of the fear of death, we hope for victory over death. We hope something will happen to keep the cold, dark clutches of death from overtaking us. Is there hope 
for immortality? Is there any way to triumph over death? Jesus, he makes a promise in verse 51 that anyone who keeps his word will never see death. What, is, what does that mean? Well, well death is, is fundamentally its separation. And so when we, uh, we feel that at a funeral, when we attend the funeral, you see in the coffin a shell of the person that we once knew. It's like they're there, but we all know that they're, they're not really there. Her, her soul has been separated from her body, and all that remains is this empty shell. And so in those moments, we have this, this sense of kind of eternity in our minds and in our hearts. And we think, what, what next? What now? What of me? There's this word that the wise Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He says, God has placed eternity in our hearts. What that means is that's like, that is a gift from the Lord to think about things beyond this tiny little drop of life that we get to live. It's a gift from the Lord to be able to think that way. This is why we know deep down that, that we'll live on somewhere, somehow after this life. The world seems enamored, even outside of the church, no matter what kind of religious vein you're in or, or whatever, there's this, this idea of life beyond the grave and, and it takes a, a thousand forms that we don't have time to talk about. But you see it everywhere, not just in the church or not just in the scriptures. And we also see this, that death stings. That's a fact. Yet Jesus comes to overthrow death along with its sting Sure, our bodies will taste isn't actually our biggest problem at all. In a previous conversation, Jesus interacts with this guy named Nicodemus, and he tells him, you, he says, uh, you must be born again. You have to be born of water and of spirit. And Nicodemus is confused, and he's like, well, how, like, would I, it's really weird, right? It's just, it's weird. Like, how would I get there again? Like, I can't do that. And, and Jesus is, is like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. But what he's, what he's talking about and what, what Nicodemus needed and what we all need is, is we need to be given spiritual life. And the assumption to that is that we're spiritually dead. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. His perfect love, his perfect justice his perfection, his perfect good is, is separated from us who rebel against him. And we live not for, not acknowledging him as God rightly, not living for his honor and glory, but living for our own. And that, that breaks things. But, but the lie is that the spirit, we think that, that the physical is, is the greater, but the greater reality is that the physical is but a shadow of what's to come. That physical death pictures the far more terrifying reality of spiritual death. That, that time continues on, and we live literally a drop in the bucket. And yet, yet there continues to be an existence. And that's what, man, there's stuff that we don't know about. How does this play out? I don't know. But immediately after that conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus says, man, one of the most famous Bible verses in all of Scripture. He says, for God so loved the world in this way, that, 
that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish, would not die, would not go bad, but will receive eternal life. That's, that's an offer from Jesus. The promise then that Jesus makes here is, is he will never see death. It goes beyond the physical to the spiritual. By comparison, maybe it's like this, like uh, I have a, a wedding to go to a little later today, and I'm sure that they'll probably declare vows of love like as long as they live, all right? And we do that, and we might say something like this, like I will never leave you. And then a few months later, one of them gets on a plane and, and flies off to California for a work trip. Did they break their commitment? No, because we know that what they're saying is not, I'm not going to go away for a long weekend. That's not what they're saying. Even though they're separated, that's not the separation that they're talking about. When we look at physical death this way, we miss that greater reality. That he's saying, you will not die. And yeah, you, you will die in the flesh. That's fine. For us, it's everything. But in the greater reality, it's, it's not everything. It's, it's a weekend work trip. And you can take heart in that. You can hate that. But to me, that, that sounds like a pretty good deal. That, that sounds like some, some lenses that I would want to put on and interact with this life with that view of eternity in mind. That's the offer. Life in Jesus gives hope and confidence to live on purpose forever. Uh, as, as Davy Jones says in Pirates of the Caribbean, he says, do you fear death? Do you fear that dark abyss? All your deeds laid bare, all your sins punished, I can offer you an escape. And here's the thing. David Jones couldn't offer this escape. There's not a deal this good, but Christ does. That you would overcome death. You would get to live with him, that we would get to do that uh, without disappointment, without, without broken tears, where, where no pain registers, where there's no void that exists at all, only the full range of joy living in the glory of a reigning and exalted Jesus as the light of day. The last thing we see is this. Jesus is the greatest then, now, and forever. Verse 57 so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You don't know it. But, but that was like the last straw. Like they couldn't take anymore because Jesus is saying something there. That, that might not be so obvious to us. And so what they do is they grab some rocks and in Jack Sparrow fashion, he like, he like, he gets out of the scene, right? He like, where's he? Like, get him. Hey, where are the rocks? And then like, and then he's just gone. He like escapes. Jesus is the greatest then, now, and forever. He's certainly greater than the prophets. He's certainly greater than Abraham. Uh, but he is far greater than simply being the best of many. He's not just a great prophet. 
He's not just a wise teacher, not some sage that like, man, he was so young and he had like so much like heart and everything that he said. That's not what Jesus claims to be. That's not what we get to claim to be the central part of, of the life of Jesus. We so easily minimize and we misunderstand who he is. It's one thing to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, but it's another to, to build your life around a first century Jewish carpenter who claimed to live forever, to be from God, to be one with God, and, and who, who claimed to be God in the flesh, and yet that's the, the loony truth we must embrace so that we might live for his glory and gain eternal life. After Jesus died, this was after this scene, right? Later on, uh, he, he dies uh, taking on the sin of mankind. He, he's raised in resurrection, defeating death. He walked the earth for, for a month and 10 days. And in Luke 24, he has this interaction that helps us understand even what's happening in this passage that we're looking at today. And in Luke 24, verse 26 and 27, what happens is uh, these guys are sad because Jesus is dead. Like he just died. And Jesus comes up and, and they're like, and, and he says like, hey, what's happening? And they're like, we're like, didn't you hear? Like, where have you been living under a rock? It's pretty good. Um, that wasn't in my notes. That was just from the spirit. That was really good. Wow. I'm like, I'm impressed. Uh, and so Jesus says, well, well, yeah, actually, but I'm not anymore. All right. That's what he says. He's like, it's look me like, you know, like probably what that looked like. And then, and they're like, oh my goodness, like you're alive. And he's like, I know. And then he, he goes to dinner with him and he shares some stuff. And this is what he says. He says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? His death was what he had to do to enter into his glory. And then, you ready for this? In beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what, he's, what he told them was, all of this book points to me. That is not insignificant. That's significant for, for two reasons. One, we see in this passage here, it says, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. How, how is that possible? Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so they're thinking like, you're not, there's no way, you're not 2,000 years old. Like how, what are you even? But, but if what Jesus says is true, then this tells us something. It, it makes no sense unless Abraham knew in part what Jesus fulfills in full. And I don't think that Abraham was like, man, Jesus is going to come and, oh, it wasn't like that. But it was the promises that God had made to Abraham, through Abraham, and to all who would follow that, that Abraham knew in part what Jesus fulfills in full, that God was rescuing his people from the grips of sin, and Abraham was a mere shadow to the greater Savior who would come to save all who would believe by standing in their place, taking all they deserved it, but because he deserved it. And so when Abraham grasped just in part 
Maybe he's daydreaming in the desert and he just saw the future glory of God and, and him actually just carrying out the promises that he made to Abraham. It made him smile. That's, that's pretty cool. But they have no idea what's going on here. In fact, they respond by saying, but you're not yet 50 and you've seen Abraham. It's significant for a spring of his people a long time ago, like 1450, 1500 B.C., BCE, when, when God saw the suffering of his people in Egypt, he shows, he shows up to rescue them from captivity to, the, to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And he shows up in a burning bush to a guy named Moses. And he has this interaction with him. And, and he says, Moses, hey, you're going to be used by me to rescue my people. And Moses is like, I can't do that. And God's like, I know, but like I can and like I chose you and we're going to do this. And Moses is like, great, cool. And he's like, wait, but wait. Uh, who should I tell him is actually leading this mission? And this is what he says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my Name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So, when Jesus says, truly, truly, what, like, how can this be? Like, you're not even 50, and Abraham lived like a million years ago. How, how did, truly, truly, before Abraham was, I am. And what he basically did was, in their dialogue, he pulled out the pen and he just set it down. And he just waited. Because he knew what he was claiming in this moment. Like, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus and you, and you would tell someone that Jesus claimed to be God, this is, this is significant. So, so before Abraham was I am. And I'm just going to read. I'm going to have it on the screen. It's in tiny words. You can't read it. But you can make just a study Bible. And there's lots of commentaries and stuff we use to preach. Um, but just a basic, uh, this is from the ESV study Bible. It's really helpful. So as you're reading along and you wouldn't know this, man, this is just in the notes of uh, CSB study Bible, the Reformation study Bible, or the ESV study Bible. I encourage you, chat with me, right? Would love to get your hands on one of those to help your study. But this is what this says. If there had been any uncertainty about Jesus' identity, in other passages where he said, I am, there was no confusion here because Jesus is claiming to be the one who was alive before Abraham was. So up to this point, he could like heal someone, heal a blind man, uh, give someone the ability to walk that couldn't walk, uh, turn some loaves and fishes and feed a whole, you know, like a, thousands of people, all this stuff. But here, things change. That is, more than 2,000 years earlier, Jesus does not simply say, before Abraham was, I was, which would simply mean that he is more than 2,000 years old. Rather, he uses the present tense, I am. In speaking of existence more than 2,000 years earlier, thus claiming a kind of transcendence over time that he could only be, that could only be true of God. The words I am in the, the language of this text 
use the same expression found in the Septuagint in the first half of this quote that I read in Exodus 3. I am who I am. Jesus is thus claiming not only to be eternal, but also to be the God who appeared to Moses at the burning bush. His Jewish opponents understood his meaning immediately, and they picked up stones to stone him to death for blasphemy. I know that's a lot for some of you, but man, that is super significant. The band can come on up while I finish. So they went after Jesus because because he claimed to be the second person of the Trinity, equal with God, fully God, and yet a separate person from the Father in himself. The world will do the same to us who confess the same. When we say that Jesus is God, that changes things in us. It changes the way that that, that, that just uh, casual work conversation goes. When we start making claims like this, that Jesus is the greatest then now and forever. And then we get to say, so what? And the so what is, is if he laid down his life as the ultimate act of glory, and if he is before, after, and he is the gladness of all the great prophets that God sent, then life in Jesus, it does give hope. And it does give confidence to live on purpose no matter what forever. Whether it's the fear of spiders or the fear of purposelessness or the fear of death, here we have the keys. It was true for Jesus and it's true for us. It is knowing God and who he makes us in Christ that gives hope and confidence to live on purpose forever. It is in Christ that we get to live for the honor and the glory of Jesus above all in all things. And it's in Christ that we get to do so forever. There is no other way. So we get to respond to God's word and all that. We get to stand up where we are and sing with these ladies, men. And we can use your low register a bit today. Although I sing their parts, so thanks for that. Um, You can pray at the prayer bench over there or sit right where you are. Someone back at that tree would love to pray with you. Uh, If you are in Christ and you trust this to be good news, that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was spilled, to give you forgiveness of your sins and eternal life with God forever with his people. Then we get to respond by taking communion, the bread and the cup that, that helps us remember and declare those truths. God, thank you so much for your word. And it's so rich. And sometimes it can feel overwhelming. But that's because you're the God of old. And and you're the God of now. And you're the God of the future. And today, you've, you've just showed us that Jesus is Lord. That he is God. And that he came to lay down his life to give us life. Would you let us be bold in that confidence today? Would you let it shape the way that we interact with everything else? And would you let us live lives for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.